Hi there, everybody. Welcome to episode 101 of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. I recorded this sitting in a car with Primo Sousa uh, quite a few weeks back when I was back in Slovenia and Europe, and uh, we had a really nice talk. I had a, a chance to fly with he and Alex Roby and Aaron Duragati and a bunch of other guys on a, on a really fun triangle day in Antholtz back in July, and I'd been wanting to sit down with Primoz because along with Alex Roby, you know, we had this great show with Alex Roby a few episodes back. If you haven't heard that one, you must. It's just packed with information. But if you look at X Contest right now, I think Alex is in like third and number one, uh, and he's often in that position, is my guest today, Primo Shusa. So he's an incredible pilot uh, from Slovenia, been at this game a really long time, has some great insights on how to keep it safe, how to fly big lines, uh, how to glide well. Uh, and like I say, we, we couldn't find a really quiet place to do it uh, there at the, the campground, so we just jumped in his car and I turned on the recorder and... Uh, and, and we talked. So please enjoy the show with Primo Shusa, an awesome pilot who knows how to, how to go big. And uh, I think you'll get a lot out of this. Enjoy. To build a giant castle his name. Great to talk to him. And I've been wanting to talk to you for literally years. Uh, I thought a good place for us to start is 2009. You competed in the X Alps. I'm still coming off the whole kind of the downside of, of competing the X Alps, I always find it kind of hard after the race. Like you've done so much training and preparation and everything. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now what do you do? But yeah, yeah, yeah. what's a, what's something that still for you really stands out from the race? You know, when you think back on it, is there a particular flight or a particular walk or something or something crazy that happened in the race that, that still cracks you up? Yeah. It was like this, that, uh, I, uh, fell out of the race around Lienz. Okay. And then I rest for about four days and then I continue solo with just my gear uh, because my idea was to finish the route. Uh, uh, when you say fell out of the race, you were eliminated? I, or? Was, I was eliminated, Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I continue on my own and uh, there was actually, I took off 13 times on the whole route until I reached Nice. Uh, but the kind of the best flight I had. One of the scariest was the landing in Martini. Mm. The best flight was from Briançon down to... It's a small village, Rure. It's almost... It's like 50 kilometers from Nice. And then the last day, it was the end of end of the earth. It was so big thunderstorms. Wow. So I was walking, but it didn't touch me at all. So I was I started to walk early in the morning, and I was walking the last 50 k's air distance down to Nice. And the whole day I was walking, and one guy comes down, and he said, because we meet the day before, and he said, it, behind you, it's the end of the world. <laughs> and I'm walking down, and this it's just... A lot of wind in the valley everywhere and uh, I, I it was just giving me power to to finish this walk and the whole day I was walking behind of me the this cumul, huge cumulonimbus was growing and at the end of the day when I reached down uh, this cloud was just I mean it literally melted into the sky so the whole thing wherever you could see was this huge cumulonimbus developing the whole day and just covering everything in the end so this was like the end of that my... is so cool so how, how long did it take to finish the course Oof, uh, because i was going really if there was uh one month because ah, okay. yeah so i stayed because that was a year 
that was the year Hansa got third. That was the year. It was a really bad weather year. It was really bad weather year. And yeah, Toma did quite well that yeah, year because yeah. he basically ran the whole thing, right? <laughs> okay, I, I'm not sure because then after I start stopped following, so I was just you're just go, having fun. I was just going, yeah. So that I was, is really cool. I was on the road. I was on the road. Like I didn't follow anything uh, at that time, so I was just on my own going, and that was. <laughs> and uh, the elimination was that. Was that uh, heartbreaking? Was that? What was... Oof, it was like this that uh, I went on that. At that time, there was no uh, stopping of the race. Yeah. So and uh, I went on the mountain to fly the next day, and during the during the night, one other guy said he's quitting. So at the the next day, I was on the on the cut, and the other guys were walking the whole day. So they were. They were past Lienz and a bit maybe towards Cillian, I'm not sure. And I was still on this side. So my idea was to fly this the next day. But now the timing was no, bad. So the timing was at 12, it's the end. So it was 10 o'clock. The, the, the weather is not yet ready for flying. At that time, it was, I mean, this day was not. And still the takeoff was not really high. So I took off at 10. I had not a beep up, so mm. I was just gliding down, and that was it. So that was the end. Ah, shit. <laughs> ah, brutal. Um, did you ever think about doing it again? or? My idea at the time was I want to cross the Alps, and uh, I didn't came into the race so much to compete, but my idea from the start when I went there was to finish. I want to, to do the route because we were planning it with some other friends for a really long time and it was kind of like 10 years of my flying at that time already so mm -hmm. it was like the cherry on the these 10 years mm -hmm. and uh, it really felt like that the last day that I flew from Briançon down it was not the best flight it was the most crazy flight I would describe it because half of half of the flight I was scared then I meet uh, in the air, there, on the route there was uh, English, British nationals. Mm. So I came into this thermal... Like San Andre? I'm not sure. Actually, this big lake okay. from Briançon down there is another... Oh, yeah. Uh, St. Vincent and Gap, probably. Yeah. So Embram, Embram Lake, maybe. Not sure, maybe. Okay. So there's a takeoff there, actually. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I came into a lead, not gaggle, it was a huge gaggle waiting for that start. So I came in, I was super relaxed. Now I'm with some other guys, they know yeah, what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. So I'm climbing to the top, they start the race, and I'm going back into the big mountains, and I'm get, uh, getting scared again. Uh, nobody knowing where you are, you're just, you're just a leaf, yeah. uh, taking around with the winds. And then I was just uh, flying with some sailplanes, uh, it was super good condition. I went to four thousand something, so I was lost. I was lost with uh, with the Garmin <laughs> GPS, no map, nothing. So it was okay on the ground, but in the air, I had no idea where. I am. <laughs> so I'm looking for one pass. Where is this pass? And where is this valley with the Isola, small village Isola? So I'm looking for this valley. I couldn't find it, and then finally I see the pass, super small down below. Because normally people make this pass. On the ground or super low, just yeah, just barely over. Just it. barely over. Fifteen, I barely cleared that. Uh, I was. Uh, this is a bit further than Barcelona. Yeah, 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was there in stratosphere. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't, see, I, could, I couldn't see the pass. I mean, I couldn't see the valley where I need to go. Oh it was just God. mountains like this. So yeah, and then finally I found the, this valley, and then I know where I need to go to. So I and after after the elimination, did you carry on just by yourself, or did you keep your team? And, yeah, no, no, I just by just, myself. Yeah. Okay, and I, I got to hear about the scary landing in Martini because that is a famous place for wind yeah, I, yeah i've never landed down in there and yeah i've done that feast triangle and a lot i've flown in that area a lot but i've always you know this year crossing there into chamonix i was like i don't want to go down there. yeah sure i mean it's like this that some things you just need to know yeah and some things you just find out on your own <laughs> and, uh, you and just this, found it out i found it out on my uh, own you i didn't, didn't know, know about that i didn't place. know oh. i didn't know that it's so problematic there to land so it was like this. I started on Rieder Alp. I had an uh, average day, but in this, in this, uh, let's say my travel was like fantastic day because mm. I could fly from Rieder Alp from Alec Glitcher down to Martini. This was like wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with it's all the bad weather, flight. yeah, with all the bad weather before, and it's beautiful fly. Anyway, I was flying the the whole flight on the kind of middle of the mountain, so really average day. But then I reached uh, Martini and it was kind of stable. I could not do anything. So before it, there is like a small valley going in, uh, in the mountains towards north. And I was struggling there even to stay up. And then I said, okay, finally, after an hour, I think I said, okay, it's just not working. I cannot go up. So I went out around the corner and towards Martini. And then it's just starting to become really stronger and stronger. So I'm at some point I'm going full bar, thermal is going up like wah, and backwards oh. and a bit of collapses. And I'm watching where will I land here? <laughs> because down there I couldn't Ooh, see. It's a nasty spot. Yeah, I didn't see. I mean, it's a huge valley, but uh, I didn't see the good landings because there was so just so many of these for the plants. This, uh, yeah, the vineyards yeah. and the all the fences yeah and so, power lines and yeah so i'm thinking just the best would be just to go really maybe i mean if i need to land just maybe the best is just to go in the middle of the valley and even if i get dragged there is like some straight channel that i could maybe try to land there and then i see in some village before the there i see a small patch of field like grass and some field like for i don't know potato or whatever and i said i will land there so then i'll start to push pull bar in there thermos almost i mean thermos going backwards a bit of collapses and full bar full bar full bar until the ground exactly inside that village inside uh, that I, field that little field yeah awesome uh. and the one guy came and he just started to do like this with the hands so like <laughs> it's really like sketchy yeah, yeah because yeah. it was and um and uh, the traffic signs start to do sometimes when I was packing the traffic signs start to do like tuk, 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 tuk. yeah <laughs> it, was, it was strong wind and <laughs> that was the most scary for me at, on the whole route actually yeah wow yeah it's it's uh, that race I mean even if you weren't you weren't in the race at that point but that race will put you in positions that are <laughs> that are that are uh, tenuous for sure uh, this was kind of the hard the the most uh, scary moment and the hardest moment was before the Galibier Pass I was at that 
time I felt super fit, no problems. I can I landed a bit before, so I, it was like 30 kilometers on, on the ground until the pass. So I'm thinking this I can do just today. And then finally I got uh, some kind of food poisoning in the village with some pizza. And I needed three days to get on that bus. Oh. And then the next day when I was on the top, I called a friend. Where did Alex Hofer took off here? Because, uh, I mean, this looks to me like Lee. And he said, yeah, he took off somewhere exactly where you are. So I take off. And I had a splash down to the valley. I think it was not more than 10 minutes. I was back on the ground. So this was the hardest moment, I think, because at that moment... And then my boss calls me and he says, yeah, hey, when are you coming home? I mean, when are you coming to work? And I said, just few more days and then I'm finished. <laughs> so, yeah, I walked down to uh, Briansson, walked the mountain, sleep on the mountain. And then the first it was the first day that I woke up and I said, OK, today you fly or you go on the train and you go home. And then was this like the best flight of the whole trip for me uh, down to Ruhr and uh, yeah, then just one day of walk more and done. And you made it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that had to feel good. I thought I thought it was pretty stylish in uh, in the 2015 race. Dave Turner did the same thing. He wasn't. I don't think he was eliminated, uh, but that was a year where you know 19 got in. A lot of people made it, and he was still maybe 250 or so out when mm -hmm. the race ended and he just kept going yeah yeah yeah, sure i mean it. for me it made the only sense because anyway this is what i came for and uh sure uh yeah it was perfect ending finally before we started recording you were talking about your history you started 23 years ago you started in 96 yeah yeah and 96. said you were quite lucky talk about the how it started and, and how you got into the sport yeah, I was. I always wanted to fly. So in when I was in elementary school, they were asking kids, "What do you want to do? To do what do you want to do?" So I said, I was thinking, I want to. What should I say? Did Did you live in Ljubljana then? No, in Vrhnica. Uh, it's okay. so super near to Ljubljana. Okay, and but in in elementary school, it was Yugoslavia, correct? Mm, was it? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. It hadn't been broken up yet. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, what should I say that it would be more cool than everyone else? So I said, I want to be a pilot when I go. <laughs> so, yeah, and then um, it was always like two things, or computers or, or flying. Um, and I wanted to fly cell planes. Uh, we had a national lottery and there was a huge, I mean, there was a like famous, kind of still famous, I think, Elan cell plane that you could win. Mm. I bought a lottery ticket and I didn't win. And then uh, one neighbor said, hey, why don't you try paragliding? Andreas Noznik. Uh, and uh, I said, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. So I was thinking, yeah, I might just jump out the mountains until I start to fly sailplanes. And then, uh, yeah, and then I started. And what is really cool about paragliding for me that is just opening up. The, the more you know, the more you uh, get better the possibilities are just opening up what more you can do so it was just amazing mm. um, six years i was just thinking about about this how to fly how how to get higher how to fly further and yeah so i was using dos program to to plan my routes uh, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> A to B, and then yeah. So it, yeah, like this. Was was uh, was cross country kind of immediate? I understand you you started flying when you're 18. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Was cross cross country immediately available to you? Did you know that? I mean, when I got, when I got into flying, I didn't know that that was even a part of it. I thought you launched there and you landed here. Exactly. When, was, I, when it, I learned that. I don't know when, but it wasn't immediate. It was, you know, I think it was actually when I watched my first X Alps, which I think was 2007. I thought, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, you can travel? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was like this, that exactly like you. I mean, I didn't know. I, I was just thinking you can fly down. And then I'm I'm thinking, I'm wondering, I see people high, higher than the mountains around, and I'm thinking, how did they get there even? Yeah. Uh, then, uh, yeah, then I figured out, okay, you can soar, you can climb. And then one friend um, brought up, like a paper and he was declaring a task so what's this this is cross country so you travel from a to b and then maybe come back so it's just fascinating about this so I, I was really super lucky with uh with uh, my friends and first with my instructor and then with my friends around me because they really i think pulled me up uh that i could fly better and just sh- first show me what what is possible, what they're doing, what's even happening, and then making me better. Uh, so this was really good. How have you approached, we talked about this a bit with Alex, a good friend of yours that mm-hmm. you fly a lot with. Uh, I was saying before we started recording that I, you know, I'm kind of an ex-contest junkie at home. We have a lot of unflyable days, mm-hmm. so I'm always checking ex-contest to see what people have done, and then I, I try to analyze their tracks. That's part of what I feel is a smart thing to do with... Uh, so when I come over here, I can you know, hopefully fly bigger lines. But it's very often you and Alex, when I look at X contest, that you guys are right there at the top of the score that day. Mm-hmm. How do you go from, how have you gone from, you know, when you learned 18, 20, you know, 20 something years ago to where you are now? What, what's been the, what's been the key points of that progression? I think the key points is always um, like goals, setting goals. Uh, so first, really knowing what you want, um, even before, or have like ideas. So in general, I think to have ideas thought out before you're actually doing it, it's already a good step. And to have, let's say, if you are flying cross country, to have an idea what you want to do uh, in that day that will actually happen tomorrow. Uh, it's half of the win because in the air you are not wondering what to do now. You exactly know um, what your main goal is, and then just breaking up, breaking it up step by step. So you're just dealing with one problem at a, at a time. Um, so first, just like now, I need to take off. Then I need my first thermal. Then and so on, so on. So mm-hmm. this is how the day progresses, but. The whole picture you have, in my opinion, you have to have one day before or whatever. You have to have it in your mind because when you have, when you just go to fly a bit and you have, you realize in the air, wow, it's a great day. You climb to the top, to the cloud base, and then you say, well, now what? Mm. Uh, you just don't have, have idea. Plan. Don't have like what you want to do, and that's let's say what's missing often. And in general, for me, for flying, I think the biggest two things are combination of comps and cross-country. Uh, and I think because with this combination, I think you really learn 
the most how to fly really fast and because let's say when I was just flying cross country more in the beginning at one moment you fell in a trap that you're flying just the good days and then your rhythm and everything is just for the good days mm. and with the comps you fly everything uh, and um, and you see also other people what they are doing because when, if you're just somewhere alone in the, in the air you have your own idea you're doing that but Actually, you don't see the other options. And when when you start to fly the comps, you see what's even possible, what other people are doing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it makes you better. Um, so these two comps... And finally, if you... And it's a, it's a loop. So if you want to win the comp, I think you need to be really comfortable flying on your own finally also. So it's a, it's a loop. Comps and cross-country, I think, together are like the perfect thing to really be good. And, and comps have been a big part of your history yes i was basically i started the, the next year uh, flying comps yeah yeah wow. it, it was like this that uh, i start to fly and my instructor said ah next year so yeah uh we have a nationalist now uh, and i'm thinking i was just quiet i didn't want to say i want to go also but i was just exploding and then he said do you want so also want to go Yes, <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> and it was the best comp in a way because I was not thinking at all about anything else. I was just sucking in the mm. the whole, what was going on. Uh, now, was, what's the approach that you, what's the advice you would give to people that are just getting into comps? Where, where should the headspace be? Because I have found there's a tricky transition from... You know, if you're the sponge, you don't care about winning, you don't care about where your result is, you really learn a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than bombing out and kicking your helmet and getting all pissed off, you do, oh, I'm going to make some notes. What did I do wrong? But then, I, but then you've also got a transition to doing well. And uh, I, I think that transition can be tricky for people. I think the tricky can be even before because people come maybe to the comps with really high expectations mm -hmm. and then this is just not realistic i mean that your competitors if you go to a normal comp have seen so many more slides of yeah. pictures of the situations sure uh and you're just starting um so i think you should really come without expectation and join the small comps um and not stressful comps in, in a way you shouldn't be worrying about results or anything first when you're starting i think you just should worry about reaching goal mm. uh, this should be the first objective and and just seeing what other guys are doing and then progress from that um, when you can reach the goal at any moment then you can start to think how you can reach it faster sure. and, uh, yeah, yeah. how do you approach is that a process you're thinking about like when we flew Antholds as well, or is that a process you're thinking about when you're on these on the on just standard XCs? Do you do you have a rhythm of the day that defines how fast you fly? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, I mean, it's always the idea that in the in the morning uh, you want to stay high and uh, you want to get up and stay high, and then during the day you can go lower and. You can take more sportive risk, and that again at the end of the day, you want to 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 go more easy and stay high again. Um, 
this works for flatlands uh, the most i mean it's the most obvious and for the mountains it's not really a rule but yeah it helps to mm. to do it like that i mean to be more conservative and in the beginning at the end of the day when you're are, do you instruct too or you just do tandems um i have an instructor license but uh, i didn't find it too challenging to me and mm. it was just standing on a perfect day in the slope so somehow i didn't pick that up um yeah so i'm not teaching um when when you have i'm, I'm assuming though you probably have people underneath you that you're kind of mentoring or that people look up to you or they're trying to learn from you what what are the kind of the the typical mistakes or the typical things that you're finding with pilots uh, at a lower level that what do they need to work on mm-hmm. yeah it's always let's say it's a good question what is the most important climbing gliding whatever else mm. uh, I, I think climbing is always the most important so you really need to work on on your climbing and uh, and then after that perceptions of others of distance so because others are your other people flying or birds or whatever it's they're your helpers so often i see people sticking with their own thermal um and there's just 100 meters away yeah (laughs) Yeah, and then they don't and then they don't switch i mean it's just 200 meters away it's like a rocket just go there yeah um i was having uh some guidings and I found it really funny I had lower EMB wing always and for when me you were, when you were guiding when I was guiding for me it was hard to stay on the level I mean wherever I would go it would just go up I mean just fly around and it will take you up <laughs> on your on your own I mean you don't need to do anything um, when they are sticking to some small lift and just scratching that lift so yeah uh getting the i think what you really what i would what i had the problem you don't want to bomb out you don't want to bomb out you're just thinking about i don't want to bomb out so you're sticking to every small scratch of lift you don't explore you don't you don't go out to search uh, so mm-hmm. just start to accept that finally you will bomb out and even if you do so what uh, mm-hmm. and this really helps um that you're more comfortable exploring the 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 air. Mm. Um, it helps also, let's say, when you start to do bigger distance. So if you already did 100, so who cares if you bump on 50 or or on 100? I mean, you want to do 200 maybe. So then you can start to fly faster and and don't care about if you bump out on 50. Mm. Yeah, it, this becomes really more obvious when you do 500. Let's say because then you then until 300 you have a objection at one o'clock i need to be on 300 if i'm not there it's the same if i bomb mm. i will not reach 500 mm. so then you can fly really faster because you are thinking in this way you don't care if you bump on three because anyway if i'm not there at the time i will not do five and then it means i bombed so you can do faster you can mm. go faster how many hours a year do you typically fly or do you try to fly so I was flying, I started with a lot. So I was flying everything possible. Mm. Um, I was doing 400. No, actually, no, 300. I think it was my my best. Uh, 
my 300 friend, is a lot. 300 is a lot. My, my friend is doing 400, so that's why I got mm. uh, uh, confused. But now I'm not doing that. I'm doing like 150, I think, per year. Yep. The, was, there a, was there a time in your, in the last 23 years, it, I was thinking about comps, but also just standard XC, where there was kind of a click? Like, ah like an aha moment and and if so what 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 was it what was the big difference what 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 allowed you to really pick up your game i mean there was always i mean there is many clicks but one click for me was around six years i think when i had the feeling that now i really know what the wing is telling me um and that my hands and the brakes, I mean, my hands are just extensions of the brakes and the wing. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, was one aha moment that I kind of, I can even remember, like, ah, I just know what's happening with the wing. Um, after that, I'm sure, I mean, that is less and less. I mean, the, the, the most fun, fun part, I think, is when you know even less so mm, yeah. when there is more black spots, I think it's more fun, a more challenge. I don't know. It's something mm. like is is chasing these numbers. Is it kind of a Charlotte's Web in a sense? Is you know the the X contest thing? You know, for like, I don't fly much anymore on days like today where mm-hmm. I know it's going to overdevelop. Mm-hmm. I could go out and get four hours of really good flying, mm-hmm. uh, but I want ten hours. Yeah, and in a sense that's that goes against i mean how it was in the beginning is you're chasing 10 minutes it's just it's so exciting you well, know? six and times a day yeah you just i don't do that anymore exactly that, yeah. and i don't it, the it's it, it gets to this thing where it's like you know okay you get 200 and then you get 250 and then you get the 300 and then you just you know if you don't get more it's kind of like a disappointment uh, is that a i think it's a trap it's a trap. Uh, it's a trap. So, and I think at one moment, like it's a cross-country trap, maybe. So, at one moment, yeah, this can happen. And uh, the idea um, for me is like this. Uh, I started when there was not many tracks. Uh, there was no cross-country online portals. Mm-hmm database so yeah it was just uh, really a paper piece of paper and a small community um piece of paper and a camera and you need to photo the paper you need to photo the glider you need to photo the where you took off where you landed and so on and uh, it's for me let's say if you're doing one route many times it's the same like climbing in a way you didn't reach yet what you want there um um so if you fly 290 it's the same like you would climb to the top of this wall but then you're missing this last thing quite the last one yeah Yeah. just ah puff and again and you do it again and you do it again because you want to do that and uh, i think people sometimes find it like these guys are flying all the time this but yeah i mean i didn't do anything almost the first like at the first time, like the best what I wanted to do and now I can quit. So uh, for me, these are like small challenges and we have here one, we had here one challenge like this. I mean, we were developing a route 
and it had a lot of world records on it and finally there was this final thing we want to do 300 out and return world record and it didn't happen for five years and then finally it happened for me i didn't care about the record at all anymore i just wanted to do to finish this route we mm. have 300 we know it's possible we can do it we just need to do it and then finally we did it and it was really uh like i got more relaxed easier so now uh. i can go other places mm. this project is done, done. and other people has maybe this, this the same kind of projects at home and you can get stuck with this thing and then then you don't explore other stuff so when i started what i wanted to say before is also that there was many routes open so you did this you did this everything was kind of new now it's not anymore like that so i had to change a bit my thinking and i changed it in a couple of ways one way was that i started to do a lot of hike and fly so this was really for me one hike to the mountain and fly down it's almost the same good feeling as i would fly 500 mm -hmm. and it felt it started to feel like i'm beginner again kind of like i got back about, about this feeling i don't care about really soaring even when i do hike and fly i just want to fly down and that's the biggest reward mm. uh, to be again kind of like happy with small things uh this was one thing and another thing because the roots were at least in my area what i did was i kind of lost what else i can do so with this project finished now i said okay um kind of reimagine the map in the mountains we have so many classic top classic flights routes and people say yeah i mean they're all the time flying that but yeah did you fly it I didn't fly it, so I want to fly it. I need to do it. So I, in my idea now, I want to do all the big classics in the Alps. This is my challenge for mm. myself. It's like all the, the big FAIs, well, or all just the classic big, lines, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's uh, like uh, reading uh, this. How you do you know how it's in English expression that you have like a reading schedule or something like this? You need to read this the checklist. The checklist. Yeah, yeah. The checklist. something like this. Talk about gliding, because mm -hmm. a big part of, I think this is the most mysterious thing for most pilots until they kind of get it. And some maybe, you know, I, this is something in my own flying that I have really struggled with over the years is, is, you know, finding these magic lines. I mean, I always think about when you watch Kriegel, you know, you know Stephen Smokers, you know, like if you, every time you turn, you're going the wrong way half the time. So you've got to find the better lines and just keep going. And when you watch Kriegel's track logs, when you or when you fly with him, he he flies straight all the time. He's just finding these better lines. But teaching that, I have found, or relating that to somebody is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think actually. Um... You should all the time, maybe it looks straight on the map, but uh, you basically need to adjust the line all the time. Especially if you're flying with some other friends, it's easier then, and on the comps is super visible. Mm -hmm. Actually, this, the first time I really realized it, that you need to adjust the line basically all the time with when uh, uh, Donini, uh, we were on some, I think it was european up to now or world up to now i'm not sure what it was and it, we were like three of us 
going back from Dachstein and then finally Bischling and then we needed to cross back to fo- just go to um, to Uptenau. And on that line, the air was kind of not really working much, but when one guy just got a bit of lift, Donini really like changed almost mm-hmm. 90 degrees to get on his line. So I'm thinking, why is this guy, what did he do this? I mean, and then I really start to do this. I really start to try to adjust the line all the time. And um, also the exits of the thermals. It's like super funny. I mean, if you are thermaling, 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 and then you just go straight out. And the other guy makes a small, like not even a detour, just small other direction. I mean, uh, how to say it in English? Just yes. adjust the line mm-hmm. and he will go in the lift like ta 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 for the next, let's say, less than a minute. He will gain 200 meters against you. Mm-hmm. And then just adjust the line again, like was the the main line. Well, then you have that other person that has shown you where the, where the air is too. You're higher, I mean, a little bit behind, but that's a perfect place to this be. This is like competition tactics, but it helps you also... To think about how you're exiting thermals or how you're adjusting the lines on the cross country and uh, yeah it's so small detours are, or small adjustments can really mean a lot uh, mm. on the line mm. how how do you approach the like let's just take the flight we did in Antholes the other day how do you approach when to climb versus just pressing and pressing and pressing mm-hmm. as the day as the day starts middle late 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 mm-hmm. so yeah like uh, the first breaking it up into a um, immediate problems what I need to do and um, what I see how to do it first just to imagine it how you will do it and then what would be the the what would be the extra so if this doesn't work what will be the next one uh what will be the next move so it's if it's tricky just be more conservative let's say this is like the most easy rule of time if it's tricky you're getting low the more conservative you need to be if you're getting low the more happier with anything you get the more high, high you are the, the the least happy you should be the more you should try to get something better so at the beginning of the day yeah you go you try to go high. If it doesn't go, you scratch everything. And then in Antholz, it's kind of really obvious when at one moment it really starts to work and mm. on a good day. And then you can fly super fast. Um, at that time, yeah, you, sh- you should kind of be optimistic in a way, thinking or optimistic that or not, I mean, you shouldn't be worrying about bombing out. I mean, mm. I think this is the most challenging for when you are um, not knowing or somehow you are... Yeah, newer pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah the, you're, uh, when it's on, you're not going to bomb out. It, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Just keep pushing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, let's say on the McCready scale with the paragliding, we are... Uh, as soon as it gets uh, stronger than three meters, you can basically push as much as you dare. But still, let's say, I think that 
idea is to have better glide so on the, on the cross country you don't need to go full bar or if there is i mean even on comps i think full bar is a bit uh going down in a way that you want to have really good good glides so yeah let's let's talk about bar on a good day mm-hmm. 10 hour day you're mm-hmm. flying a big triangle mm-hmm. what what's the percentage on bar on on your glides you know what are you mostly at and then give me percentages of how often are you on full bar three quarters half mm-hmm. so the the my idea is let's say oh, I, and then you should tell tell everybody what you're flying to yeah uh the, it's the same so i find we were wondering this with aaron when we were flying in brazil so how do we fly this it's just with the wind uh, do we fly it the same as at home in the mountains or do we fly like less finally we are flying exactly the same uh you want to reach the next thermal you are super high you see the thermal you see the huge cloud yeah full bar mm-hmm. uh, and i kind of split my full bar uh, my bar in uh, like three three four points uh so no bar climbing a little bit always a little bit of bar on the glide when i want best glide at least a bit of bar and this can go to half and then from half on starts to go what i need speed more i don't need the glide Uh, i need speed so until half i would say always a bit on the glide and from this let's say one quarter to half or a bit over I would say I need glide or until half I would say I need glide over the half I would say I need speed um and uh, because I know it's good mm. I just want to get there faster and if you have like um obvious it's either the reach or it's either a guy in front of you having a thermal then it's full bar because you just need speed you just need to get there you can uh, see it yeah you're flying the Enzo I'm flying the Enzo yeah no Um I believe you and I were down in the Sertao at the same time because you were flying Patu quite a bit and getting some big flights. Mm-hmm. The last time so that year I believe you were mostly foot launching. I don't think you were part of that tow team, right? No, no, we are tow team. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So maybe I have that wrong. Uh were you flying Patu? We were crossing it a couple okay. of times, yeah. So you were just doing the towing. Yeah, we were just doing the towing. I find it super more easy um much easier much yeah. easier in the patu I think you're always a bit in the lee also mm-hmm. so you're I don't want to get myself I'm just there for flying and I don't want to get myself standing on the takeoff looking at the wind and I'm think uh, or it's just the best for me to go on the on the airfield it's almost no wind the day is still not on and then when it starts to just a bit of wind it means okay it started to work so then you can already try and uh, so it's super easy to take off super safe and uh, you take off always and you start from really early i mean this is i was never there actually in patu and sahara and these places to foot launch so i don't know the place in this way i just know it in uh from winching side and i i find it better i did uh, i spent eight or nine days in tasima where they where okay. the guys got the record two years before when i was there so i was there down there two or three years ago yeah and uh and uh rafael and a couple of those guys and uh samuel and 
Marcelo came for like three days. Yeah. You know, they, they sat there, I believe it was 39 days to get that record, and they flew three times. Yeah, sure, And sure. it is brutal. I mean, it, <laughs> it is so brutal. The first move is 40K over this plateau where you're barely got, you, your, your base is right on the deck, and it's really windy. So you got to get across this thing, and then you start to get established as you start, start to get closer to Keiko. But, I mean, you're starting almost on the coast. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And every night, oh, the weather looks good tomorrow. And then you go out, and it's raining, or it's too windy, or whatever. I mean, it was it was a the most brutal patient game I've ever played. It was like, I got to get out of here. Because <laughs> you're if it doesn't work, you're home by 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing to do. <laughs> you're just <laughs> twiddling your thumbs all day. But uh, what... Talk about flying in the Sertau. I loved it. Uh, I knew it was good. I mean, before my friends were going to Sahara and these places, and somehow I was not really convinced and interested. But then at one moment when Michael Ziegel started to do his uh, breakfast 500 Ks, yeah. I said, this is a classic route now. So I need to do the classic route. I need to do 500 at least. Uh, and uh, it was funny. I mean, we were on World Cup in Bulgaria we wanted to organize ourselves, our own winching, our mm. own team, everything. And then everything fell apart. And I'm thinking, okay, when will I do this? And then Aaron calls me. I'm driving home and I'm thinking this. When I will do this? Brazil. I want to do Brazil. Next day, Aaron calls me. He says, uh, there's another place. Do you want to go? Yes. And that's how we went. Uh, it was super fun for me. Um, I really like to fly um, with Aaron. It's, uh, we have really cool way of, um, of do a pair flying. Mm. Um, when we were crossing Bulgarian mountains on hike and fly, uh, we established a couple of rules, um, how to really, how it really works that you can fly together really well. And, uh, yeah, we use this, we can use this on cross country. And, um, so when we were flying, bivak over the bulgarian mountains the first day we were we took off i mean the first day that was flyable we took off and we were going really slow we were just watching ourselves how who will do the move whatever and then we when walking to for the next day we were we established like a couple of rules one rule is the lower one always leads the lower one always needs to do a decision because the higher one can go wherever he wants and the lower one is actually the one who who needs to do that decision so mm. this is like the first rule mm. the second rule is that when uh, when the lower one makes a decision the higher one can always do the same because he's higher so he's going at the same moment because when you reach the next thermal when the lower one will reach, reach the next thermal the higher one will be there too so we can go up together and fly faster in the thermal mm. and the th- we had there anyway the first rule from the first day if one bombs out the, the, the other bombs out because mm. we are hiking mm. and so we established the third rule uh, that if somebody gets away in the thermal he goes down to join and you go up again together oh. so we use these th- three things and we can fly super fast I think. is that 
did you guys talk to Rafael and those guys? Because, I mean, in my mind, the Brazilians have nailed this team flying thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are clearly making this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that basically what they're doing as well? I have no idea. Mm. This is based on I our, think so. And maybe. Donizete talked about that in Chelan two years ago at the Nationals. Uh, we had a canceled day, and I was behind those guys. I was waiting for some other guys to launch, so I never caught up with them. But I... I I remember something along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know, basically the lowest person leads. Oh, okay. The uh, the the highest person, if the lowest person bombs out, you dial down, come up together. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, this is based. Our idea is based just purely on hike and fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay. Yeah. How were you guys approaching it in in Brazil? Because you've got your towing, you're separated. Mm-hmm. No, you. It, it's quite good organization it's super good organization actually the best i've seen ever and uh, you tow side by side oh yeah okay so you go side by side up you release and then you start so you, you and aaron would just fly as a team yeah exactly ah, cool yeah. how the other the day after antolts uh i didn't go with you guys you went and flew meyerhofen and did a nice triangle there mm-hmm. i watched the avery replay that alex put up after that you and alex were like together i mean really together for 200 and something k i mean the whole flight you were just totally together uh, are you communicating via on the radio no 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 the same rules basically same. Okay. we're kind of spreading this yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah um yeah we, we if you have these rules you don't need the radio we were flying the balkan mountains without the radios we didn't have any radios okay uh, and here it's cool because sometimes you need to have it's cool to have a radio because you can discuss a decision um, and with uh, yeah with lakes we are we are I think we're flying similar like uh, the same principle the same principle yeah, the same yeah, speed yeah yeah oh, that's that's terrific okay so are there any other if we missed anything there because I think team flying is really important are there any other kind of principles or things you talk about do you guys after the flight, do you discuss it? Do you before the flight? Do you discuss what? Take me through, take me through the day. You know, like you see a big day coming. Take me through even before the day. How are you identifying it weather-wise? What are you using for resources? What are you guys talking about pre-flight? Um, and then how are you analyzing it afterwards? Yeah, I think now we don't talk so much anymore. I mean, it's just the question: Is it good? And where is it good? Uh, where, where is the best place? So I am, let's say, I was watching always one thing for Slovenia. Uh, we have uh, Aladdin, some service that you can see the weather. The, the problem with, and Austrians have another one that's also great, and Swiss guys have another one that's also great. Everyone has its own, but just for their own country. Mm. So I... I didn't have a really good uh, source of um, weather info for whatever. And uh, now I'm really trying to learn SkySight. It's Mm. a glider's... uh, Yeah, it's great. We use that a lot in the X-Hubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it a lot. And it's uh, first discovering the whole world. So now I have like two things to watch. And I say, okay, one is for at home that I really trust and know what he's saying to me. And another one, I'm still learning what he's trying to say to me, what will literally then happen in, happen in reality. Um, so I'm using this, and for a good day, basically, I watch 
no thunderstorms, no cover, not much cover, uh, low winds and uh, and good thermal. So these three things. Yeah. How high the thermal will go, if it will be, let's say, more than three forecast, uh, three meters per second, let's say, and low winds. It means low wind means normally less trouble. Less trouble means longer distance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, like this. Mm. So for identifying good day, I think good thermals in the Alps. You could say okay, up to until four uh, thousand meters. Um, let's say two three me- uh, three meters thermals and um, low wind. Everything else it will be problematic day. Mm. Uh, some some stuff will be tricky, so it means it's good. It's okay for flying. It's good for flying, but you will not be able to do whatever you what. What's your plan? Maybe. Do you have anything you do pre-flight or pre that day uh, mentally to prepare, or anything you're kind of thinking about the night before? Like, hey, I've got a big day coming up. I want to. I I just whatever I do I have uh, like a list of system so I don't have really a list but uh, I think if you don't have a system you should have at least a list so that everything is really in order uh, that everything all the equipment is set that you have everything this is the most important it doesn't just come together by itself so you should i think really prepare always to to have a system how everything needs to be so it's perfect it's perfect that you don't miss anything when because all the small this this maybe seems like small details but finally uh if something is bothering you i mean you cannot go with an empty phone on this kind of flight Mm -hmm. it's a bit uh a challenge in your mind the whole flight probably then (laughs) so um something like this Mm -hmm. um let's talk about your job you work for navitor you do their programming yeah yeah. uh is it a scary time in that space because of what's going on with phones i uh yeah i think how i start to look at it so navitor have anyway couple of products uh one is cu and cu cloud and another is are the instruments. Um, how I see, in general, the, the the phones and the dedicated devices. Not just saying for Navitor now, but let's say when I got, I had a let's say a PC at home, and then uh, Mac start uh, Apple start to go to Intel, so you could even install Mac on your normal PC. Mm-hmm. So I did this and it was working like crap. It was really not working. You need to adjust the mouse, you need to adjust the keypads, whatever. I mean, it's a lot of work and it's just not working as it's normally working on their own hardware. Mm. Even though it could be lower lower hardware than your PC. So, and I had similar experience with Navitor made CU Mobile 20 years ago. And at that time, I had it. I had big battery in my cockpit and this uh, pocket PC with uh, CU Mobile on it. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's a lot of cables and a lot of stuff. And 
it's just not working. So I'm thinking this way. I'm not I'm not a thinker in from this perspective because mm-hmm. when I'm doing certain thing that I really want to excel with it, I want the best tool for the job. I, I, you cannot go with the E&B on the world championship. Sure. You need the best glider. You cannot use your phone with a, with a shitty um, pressure sensor for your climbing on a world championship. You just mm-hmm. want dedicated device that just works, that you don't need to think about it. You need to think about other things. Like similar when you, when you go to cross country in Kaiko, I mean, what is good thing about that? You just need to think about flying. You don't need to think about anything else. Oh. They will take care of it. So, in a way, in this way, I'm thinking, for sure, phones are competitors. For sure, um, I, I mean, there might be some things that uh, will happen also on this side that Navitor will do this. But dedicated device, I think, or dedicated something that for the guys that are just want to fly, you, I think you need a finished thing, finished product that you don't need to think about it because you have other things you need to think about. For sure, for tinkerers, you want different stuff to connect together and play with that stuff. That's another story. If you could rewind the clock to your 50-hour self, uh, so back when you're 19, 20, somewhere in there, uh, and you could offer that Primoz advice from what you know now, what would it be? Oh, I think many. <laughs> Just I don't, I don't know from the top of my head. From yeah, no, I I don't I don't have a I don't have a regrets i must say mm. um yeah i don't know <laughs> you had any accents i had one actually um i was learning to fly hang glider but i had a paraglider accident the same day and then after uh-huh. in the evening it was uh, i went with the acro glider on the end of the day on my hill behind the takeoff and uh, it's a cliff, it's a short take of a cliff, a bit backwind. And I had a glider above me at the edge of the cliff. And I jumped either way. So I jumped, so I didn't have much energy. And I dived, and then when I dived, I was too low to exit the, the, the takeoff. Uh-huh. So I crashed into the tree. And I broke a rib. Yeah. Ah, no, that's not too bad. No, it's not no, too, it's bad. too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's still annoying, but yeah. yeah it's, it's annoying because you can't laugh for a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what about in our world? Uh, we have we we see a lot of stuff we'd rather not see. What are the what 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 advice would you give to most fifty-hour pilots? You know, people that are, well, not most, all 50-hour pilots, people that are listening that are just getting into this sport or getting really excited about it, be it hang gliding, paragliding, sailplanes, whatever. Yeah, I think uh, one thing is to really um, balance or judge, let's say, uh, the day or what do I have to lose, what do I have to gain. So if it's just a flying and you, it's it looks dangerous, you're thinking it's dangerous, Um then this is maybe already um, like a warning. So, and then you just say, okay, you have a warning and then you just balance. So 
will this be just a flight down? Then it's really a warning and no reward. So why do it then? Just go down. I mean, uh-huh. the, the, the mountain will stay tomorrow there and you can do the flight tomorrow easy. So this would be one thing to, to, to balance, let's say, in the way... What is what? What am I risking? What am I trying to do? What am I? What are my rewards with this? And the, the, another thing in the air, I think it's always to have like second plan. If this doesn't work, what will you do next? And often, I think flying on a safe side is actually kind of also the good line. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, not losing there much with, mm. if you're doing it a bit safer. Mm, mm. I I have rejiggered my thoughts about that exact thing recently. I was training down in Santa Barbara this March for the x I was down there for a month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ocean's right there and there's these beautiful mountains. Mm-hmm. And But because it's maritime, it often can be kind of stable and the the local pilots would would really stay you know but it's it's also you know, these mountains get a lot of heat and, mm-hmm. and they can be pretty spicy. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a front line and then there's the back line on the on the big peaks and you know day after day the the local pilots were really you know they were you're basically scratching for a long ways at the in a sense you're scratching you've got four thousand feet you can go fly out but they're catching stuff right at the you know right at the trigger point Mm -hmm. and i just kept flying out front because and the speed was the same, but mm-hmm. I had a thousand feet to work with. Exactly. I, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't really. I used to would have always been back there, uh, but I didn't really. I couldn't understand. There wasn't a reason to do it. Relative altitude is uh, the key. I mean, if you often you go <coughs> somewhere, let's say deeper in the mountain, it means it often means you have l- less relative altitude, which means the thermals are really often outside Uh so yeah this is the one reason (laughs) yeah yeah i i I have learned that you don't you know i think often this line is a classic example i've only done it once now but you know when you start getting into italy and you go past whatever the town is you know you're flying through some zones that are pretty treed there's not a lot of landings out there so you really do have to fly quite deep and it has to be quite committed but i have learned that especially as the day starts to get better uh you can take a lot of lines that are way less risk exactly i mean here it depends a bit like this so if it's no wind so it's hard to stay up then yeah um and the day is working so it's always a lot of ifs i don't know uh so if it's early, it's working, but it's weak, so you cannot be really stuck on the ridge, so probably it's outside better. If it's middle of the day, a lot of wind, yeah, and you just need to cross this ridge. So probably somewhere similar, like if you would take a wave, so this is the mountain, and then you have the wave. If you will be on the top of the wave, behind the mountain, you're not really riding the wave. Mm-hmm. If you are more in, in front of it, you're riding the wave, so you're going like that. So mm-hmm. this would be, let's say, one explanation. Identifying where the wave is. Yeah, yeah. 23 years, you're doing these huge triangles, you're going to Brazil, you're getting these big distances where do you, what do you see what's your goals what are your goals now yeah. where do you see what do you want to be doing in five years um with paragliding i have now just 
short goal is we are going with um, with Aaron again to Brazil. Mm. So we want to fly big distance. Um, I'm not stressing about it too much. Um, so I'm not really if if we don't fly really far, I don't. I'm not. I'm not uh, really. I don't have a problem with it, but I think we can we can do five if we are lucky. Maybe we can do six hundred. Mm. Um, and so this is like short term and long term. I want to cross. I mean, I want to fly all the classics in the Alps. Oh. This is my cross country thing, and I want to be more relaxed about it. So I'm training a bit of acro and hike and fly. So basically, what I did, what I changed, I stopped searching for other sports. I did at one moment I was really searching for other sports I tried sailing I tried kayaking I tried whatever I mean a lot of stuff but then finally now I think okay paragliding is my thing I, I was even flying sailplanes uh, but yeah paragliding is my thing so now I want to really just learn in this space more so mm. yeah. last question about comps uh I've been wondering, you know, with the X-Alps, I've done the X-Alps now three times and, you know, really with my age and stuff, I, I probably shouldn't keep doing that. Uh, I love comps and I, I really like the idea of really working at them and making some goals there and, and doing a lot more comps, doing a lot more World Cups. But I worry about the in a sense, you know, when you get done with the X-Ops, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, the, you know, I worry about the fulfillment part of it. Is, you know, am I kind of chasing the rabbit down the hole there where it's kind of like, you know, is there is there enough fulfillment from even winning a World Cup? Is that something that's really, you know, because in the end, in the big scheme of life and the big scheme of the world, who gives a shit? Exactly. The guy on another planet doesn't care. Yeah, and, and, and really, I mean, it, it, you'd be hard pressed to find five people in the sport who remember who won the super final five years ago. It's just not. Yeah, it's exactly. not really that relevant. Which one? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. I I think that uh, with the with the comps is good to like. Let's say Xalps is a completely different thing, and when and it's possible to do coverage all every day interesting because whatever you do whatever is happening whatever the weather is it's always something happening on the comps often it's uh, a lot of waiting and nothing much is happening so i think f for us it's more interesting to have on uh, a comps that you know that will be reliable weather so you can fly there and and yeah it's good to to have other objective also like i mean you need to if you know already the people there, then it's cool to, to fly with these people. And it's a good escape, I think, from the uh, from the working uh, everyday job or something. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, it's a nice week, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, the thing is <laughs> that always fun. what I like it is that you don't need really good weather. It's yeah. uh, For me, cross-country and comps are like... Cross-country is more like alpinism, maybe... I, you couldn't compare it but let's say just this direction and comps is more like um, wall climbing like artificial wall so it's more technical you're flying with friends comparing and the weather doesn't matter it's the same for everyone so on the comps I don't check the weather yeah, <laughs> I don't either um, yeah so 
I like to compare and to compete with the with the friends. So yeah, it's cool. Mm, mm. Primos, thanks. I really appreciate it. That Thank was you. super fun. It's uh, always a treat to be able to do these live. I hope we get to fly more uh, soon. I'd, I'd love to join you guys in Brazil. Actually, that's a, that'd be a, that'd be a fun trip as well. I've been looking at the towing down there. I've been very jealous of that. We just get a lot more hours. Cool. But, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show Thank you.